Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. Good morning again. Uh, my name is Bobby. I'm the preaching minister here at Movement Church, and I'm glad that you are here. And you're looking at me like I'm really weird because I have this really tight shirt on. Um, I'll explain that later. I don't usually wear super tight shirts on stage. Um, this is actually my 15-year-old's shirt, but he likes to brag that he's taller than me now, but I'm still more of a man than him, so that's all right. Anyway, um, when was the time that you felt awe, like awe-filled, like awesome, you know, that type of thing, like something you saw, something you experienced made you feel awe? I'll tell you a couple of mine. One of them was, um, man, 20, gosh, almost 25 years ago uh, when I saw my soon-to-be wife for the first time. Um, I saw her. I was out playing volleyball at Roanoke Bible College. I was doing freshman orientation. I transferred in from East Carolina University, so I was like an old, uh, old freshman. Uh, I was, you know, supposed to be a senior in college, but anyway, so I'm out there and playing volleyball, just having some fun with some of my new classmates, and then she walks out, and I was like, oh, yeah. That's what I'm thinking. I felt, I felt awe. I was glad to know her. And, and some of y'all have heard my story. I won't, I'll spare you the details of how it took us to get together. But I did feel awe when I saw her. I was like, man, she's the one. And she didn't know it yet, but she was. And um, she's still like, I don't know if I am or not. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, I'll tell you about some other times. It was on one particular trip that I saw a lot of things that were man-made and a lot of things that God made. Uh, that put me in awe. And I'm going to show you a few pictures. Um, a few years ago, right at the beginning of COVID, it's hard to believe that you can say that and that's true, but right as COVID was getting ready to, to kick off, we didn't know it yet. I had the opportunity with Sherry to go to Italy and Ireland and speak to a group of missionaries from all over Europe and even parts of Africa that came together for a winter retreat. And it was an amazing time. I thought that I was going to hopefully be a blessing to them and encourage them because it gets lonely on the mission field sometimes. And But what we, what we came away with, looking back, especially now, was I think God sent us there because he helped prepare our hearts for what was going to happen these past two years. And uh, I don't know, you know, sometimes I've wondered if I didn't get that time of encouragement and that time of worship and just this time of seeing God's power, I don't know if I'd still be around right now doing what I'm doing. And that may sound kind of like bleak, but it's honest truth. And God knows exactly what we need when we need it. But a few times I saw a thing. I want to show you a picture up here. I can't remember what order I've got. Uh, we went to Florence, Italy, and we got a tour. And have you ever heard of the statue of David? Michelangelo carved it. Um, I had to give you the side angle because it's a little uh, PG-13, NC-17-ish. So anyway, um, when I actually posted it on my story, I put some little shorts that danced on him on the front when I did a front picture. But I couldn't find that. But anyway... I was in awe of this. I'm not a big art person, you know, I'm not a big art person, but my wife is. And so like, I, but I wanted to see this and we go to see it. I'm thinking statue is going to be six feet tops, maybe seven, maybe eight. This bad boy is 17 feet tall, 17 feet tall. Um, and I can't remember if I put the picture up here, but I got a zoomed in picture of his hand. See how he's holding, uh, I believe it's a stone. Uh, you know what he did with that. But anyway, uh, anyway, he's holding something. But if you zoom in, you look at his hand, Michelangelo even carved the veins into his hands. 
and the lines on his knuckles. I mean, it's, it's unbelievably breathtaking. And I, I was filled with awe seeing this massive, you know, he didn't use Play-Doh and then heat it up and harden it. He chiseled it out of stone. It's just mind-boggling to me. Uh, and then I saw some other things. Let me see what the next one is. My, my mind's blank. So we left um, the museum where the statue of David is, and we're going, and it's getting, you know, getting dark, and we're walking down the street, and I wish I could show you what it looked like, but we're walking down these back streets of Florence, and man, it's beautiful, you know, they, they, they do Christmas right around there. Every city, every town just strings up beautiful lights everywhere. Everywhere you go, you got lights. Like, this is like nothing compared to the other places we saw. But it's this little backside street. You're walking down. And all of a sudden, we saw what looked like a painting. I kid you not. It looked like the painting of a building. And I kept staring at it. I kept looking at it. And the, the photo by no means does it justice. But it looked like it was a painting in front of a backdrop. And then we come out, and I believe we'll see what's next. should be a video. This is the scale of this building. It's called the Domo. It's a big cathedral right in Florence. It is an unbelievable. And it literally, it looked like a painting. And all of a sudden, we came out of the alley on this street, and we stand there, and it's just this massive building that just goes up. And I, I kid you not, I was in awe. You see the perspective, you know, people's heads go like to maybe the first or second stripe. That's how big this building is. And um, it, it's amazing to me. And like I said, I'm a horrible cameraman. I'm a horrible videographer. But, and it was so big, I could only get, I mean, I had to lay on the street to like really show you what it was like. But I was just in awe of what was going on, like the man-made skill that there was to build that building. And then I'll show you another picture. That is chalk art on the street that some dude was actually drawing with chalk on the street, y'all. I was in awe of people's abilities and talents. That is not, I mean, that's, that's chalk on the sidewalk. Can I say that enough? Chalk on the, y'all ain't going, oh, I expected that. Shame on y'all. You just didn't see it in person. You didn't see it in person. All right, let's look at the next one. I don't even have to say a whole lot about that. That was in the village of Siena. And it's, uh, we went there because it's a walled city, you know, like an old fortress city. And that was just a cool experience. But just looking out near sunset over there, it's just, it was beautiful. God's handiwork just in, in full display uh, of everything. All right, let's look at another one. This is in Ireland. Um, it is beautiful in its own amazing ways. And this is uh, the Conmara. It's just this, it's a beautiful wasteland almost is the way to describe it. I mean, there's, there's lakes and then there's hills and mountains and there's fog and there's, you know, the sun peaks out. And when the sun peaks out, it's beautiful. It's, un, it's unbelievable. Let's look again. No one? I think there's no one? No? Oh, no, that's it. But I want to tell you why this is important to me. Because we've all been there. We've been at times in our life when we found something or we saw something or we saw someone or saw someone's ability and we were in awe. But I want to ask you, when you come in contact with God, have you been in awe? Have you been in awe? It's easy to say yes. But how often... When you've been faced with just how powerful and mighty and strong God is, how often have you just been sitting there in stunned silence? How often have you just been moved to the point of worship? I want to read to you 
from a passage of Scripture. You heard our theme passage read, if, if you're on the newer side here today. Uh, that comes from Exodus 34, uh, I believe 6 and 7 is the verses that that comes from. But we've been studying through this passage for weeks now, and we're coming to the conclusion today. But I want to pick up in verse 8. We haven't read verse 8 yet, actually verse 8 and 9. And so God has told who he really is. He's laid out his character. He's described himself to Moses. And when Moses hears these words, it says in verse 8, it says, And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. When Moses heard who God was, when he heard it come from the mouth of God, now granted, I'll give you that. When God's speaking it directly to you, that's going to put it up a whole other level. Am I right? But when he hears who and how an amazing God is and how awe-inspiring God is, what is his response? He falls down on his face and he worships. And I would say, if you've never experienced that, if I've never experienced that, maybe we need to dig a little deeper. Because what I want you to understand and what I have to understand is that God is no less powerful than he was then. Yahweh is no less powerful than he was then. He's no less awe-inspiring. And yes, he may operate in some different ways than he did. He didn't, doesn't do all the same types of miracles necessarily. You know, I haven't seen the Red Sea parted again, that type of thing. But God is still in the miracle-working business. And God is still showing up in mighty ways. But oftentimes, our ears are closed, our eyes are clouded, and we're just not looking. And we're just not listening. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you. If, if you haven't listened to these previous messages, I want to ask you to go back and listen. Not, not right now. Let's, let's pay attention to this one, okay? But go back and listen to these previous messages we've been going through. Because it's been eye-opening for me. It's been heart-opening for me. It's when you come in contact with God, like Moses did, and you understand who He is, does it lead you to worship? It goes on in verse 9, it says, And he said, I now, excuse me, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Moses says some interesting things. And in, in case you haven't read this part of the Bible very much, if you go back, you'll notice a theme in, in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Numbers, in Deuteronomy. A lot of those things overlap. If you go through and you read, you'll see that there's a huge glaring pattern of God's people, Israel, following God and then turning away. Following God and then turning away. Following God, then rebelling. Following God and then not believing in Him over and over and over and over. And as we've talked over these past few weeks, we've pointed out how God was ready at multiple times to and just destroy Him and be done with it. And I'm telling you what, if I was God, I, that would have been, I would have already nuked them, y'all. Because I know how I get in traffic. I'm ready to nuke. If I had, the, if I had my finger on the button, there'd be people smoked. You know, I, I'm just being honest and real. I don't know if y'all can handle that, but I mean, I don't have the love and the patience that God does. And he was ready, but Moses interceded on their behalf multiple times and he relented because he wanted to. He wanted to forgive. He is ready to forgive. He is full of love. And that's what we spent these past few weeks talking about. But I want to point out something to you really quickly right here in this passage. He says in verse 9, if now I have found favor in your sight. 
Please let the Lord go in the midst of us. Moses knows how good God is, and he knows that God would be willing to spare his people even just because of one person. He would be willing to spare all of these rebellious, stiff-necked, hard-headed people because of one person. And Moses knows that. And he says, if I have found favor, would you take and put, have mercy on all of us? And I want you to get that because that's the right attitude that you and I have. Because guess what? I think you guys know this, but everybody, everybody tune in for a second. I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm going to tell you a secret. I said, I'm going to tell you a secret. I want you to lean in. (laughs) You can only control you. And that's only about half the time. (laughs) No, you can, you can. We tell ourselves we can't. But you can only control you. Some of us need to repeat that. I can only control me. I can only control me because we spend most of our lives being frustrated because we can't get people to do what we want them to do. Many times that's good stuff you want them to do. You know, you want them to follow God. You want them to do right. You want them to treat you right. You want them to treat your kids right. You know, fill in the blank. But you can only control you. And Moses understood that as much as he might want to control the people of Israel and get them to listen and trust God. He knew that only he could control himself. And so he said, God, if I found favor in your sight, bless us. And so what you and I have to do is realize that I can only control me, you can only control you, but I can intercede on behalf of other people. I can go to bat before God for other people, and that's what you and I need to be doing. Instead of trying to control other people, let's start praying for other people. And let's start setting the example for other people. And that's what we are wanting to talk about for the bulk of our time today. But we know... Hopefully that Yahweh is good. Moses knew it. And maybe we need to be reminded of it. That he is good and that he will bless other people if we just seek to do what God's calling us to do. Because we can't control who? Anybody else but us. Verse 10. It says, And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels. This is God's reply. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Now I want you to put this in proper context for just a second. What had they seen in forms of miracles over these past 40 years? They had seen some amazing things. In, before they left Egypt, they saw some amazing things. The first couple, you remember the, the, the signs and then the plagues, the Egyptian magicians, they could do those. But then pretty quickly, they were like, no, nah, I can't do that. When it got to gnats, they were like, I can't make little gnats. Uh, like we said, I don't know what gnats is so special about that, but they couldn't do gnats. And so moving forward, nobody else could do the miracles and the marvels that God could do. But what God is saying is he says, you ain't seen Nothing yet. And I don't know exactly what Yahweh had in mind when he spoke those words as they were pinned down later on. But I do know that if, if it was only Jesus, man, that was enough. 
If it was only Jesus coming and dying for you and I, then that was enough. That was enough marvels that any of us need to see. But I believe there's so much more. And God is saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. And so I want you to know beyond the shadow of a doubt today is that if you feel like God is done, he is not done yet. He is not done yet. And he is and he will show up at just the right time. It says all the people among you. Or among whom you are. That is such a weird worded way for the English Standard Version. I don't know why they word that phrase that way. But it says, All the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. And so I want you to remember this. The world is watching. Sometimes we know that. Sometimes we know that. But then other times we forget. Many times we, as the church, we forget that the world is watching. Sometimes they're watching just to see if we fall. Let, let's be honest, because we do that to other people too, don't we? Have you ever caught yourself getting a little excited when somebody you think is a little too high and mighty gets their legs knocked out from under them? Yeah, you have. Don't lie. We all struggle with that. And the world sometimes is watching to watch us fall and watch us fail. But more often than not, whether they realize it or not, they're looking for something different. That's why self-help books and YouTube channels are some of the most viewed and read books and channels that there are. Because people are looking for hope. People are looking for answers. And guess what, y'all? We've got it, whether we realize it or not. We've got hope. We've just got to tap into it and let them look and see all that God is going to do and all that God is doing in us. He said that they would see the marvels of God. And the world is watching back then and the world is watching now. But I want to ask you this question. What are they seeing? What's the world seeing when they watch you? Are they seeing someone that claims to worship the God, Yahweh, and His Son, Jesus Christ, and has the Holy Spirit whose life just isn't any different than theirs? Is that what they're seeing? Are they seeing people that, though they're not perfect, are changed by the grace of God? I hope and pray it's that second one. Verse 11 and 12. It says, Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. So he says, look, I've got a big plan. He says, everybody's watching. I'm going to drive these people out because they are wicked and they're going to try to pull you down. Make sure that you don't make a covenant like you've made with me. Remember cutting the animals in half, you know, and walking between them. You know, they may not have been tempted to make that kind of covenant, but that's the same end result. They're connected. He said, don't do that with these people because they are going to lead you away from me. And you and I need to understand the same truth. While we need to love and we need to set the example, we cannot walk down the same path that the world is doing. That's the way we used to be. Or maybe that's the way you are now and God's calling you into something different and you can be a part of different today. But you need to understand, and I need to understand, we can't make covenants with the people we used to make covenants with because Jesus made the covenant that oversees and supersedes them all. So we cannot make covenants with them because they will destroy us. So what does that tell us? Let me simplify that. Be different. 
You and I are called to be different. Now, I grew up in, you know, the 90s was a big part of my growing up years. And it was, I'll be honest, comedy gold for Christian culture. I mean, back then we probably thought it was banging, but now it is ridiculous. Go back and watch YouTube videos. I'm glad that social media was not around. Um, because have y'all ever seen, I, I wish I'd thought to, to do this ahead of time, but there's this video of this uh, Christian singing group, and it's like a dude in a suit, and then there's these ladies in these uh, skirt suits. You know, they got the blazer and the skirt, and, like, and it, he's like got a guitar, and then he like starts breaking down, doing the robot. It, it's hilarious, and they're like full suited, and it is, they're suited and booted, and it is the most ridiculous thing, and they were serious as a heart attack. And I'm like, Lord Jesus, that would have been a great time to come back. Yeah, you know, just be like, enough. You know? I'm glad they were praising God. But I mean, we really, we think sometimes that if we're weird like that, that that's being different. But that's not what it's about. I mean, if you're weird, that's good. Own it. That's cool. But that's not necessarily being pleasing to God. If what I believe God wants us to be different in is our love, our sacrifice, our holiness, our righteousness. Our compassion, our passion for him. That's what he wants us to be different. Look at verse 13. You shall tear down the altars and break their pillars and cut down their asherim. For you shall worship no other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land when they, excuse me, but it's right here. Whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice. And you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. What he's saying is be extreme. He's saying be different and be extremely different. He said go down and tear down their altars. Well, that's very intolerant of you. Remember we talked about a few weeks ago about the difference between love and tolerance and how our culture has replaced love with tolerance? And, and we gave the, the silly but just very simple explanation of the bridges out. You remember that? If you didn't, go back and watch that. But we gave the example of the bridges out. And if we love people, we're going to be out there looking crazy trying to stop them from plunging into the ravine. Because that's what love is. Love is difficult sometimes. Love is compassionate, but it also can look a little crazy sometimes. Because if you love people, you're going to do all you can to spare them from pain and heartache. And so what we need to understand is he told them, he said, go and remove all their idols. Tear down everything that they've got because it's going to lead them astray. And it's also going to end up leading you astray. He said, make sure you do everything you can. So be extreme, be different and be extreme. Like we said, I'm not talking about, you know, doing funny robot dances on videos. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about following God with every ounce of your heart. But I have to talk about the elephant in the room in that section. What probably jumped out at you? God says that he is jealous. He's a jealous God. What's interesting is um, many scholars, and John Mark Comer points it out in his book, they point out an interesting idea that this verse can be translated in two ways. It can be translated like it is here, whose name is jealous. Or it can be translated, who is jealous for his name. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? 
And, and at first it may seem sort of different, you know, whose name is jealous or who is jealous for his own name. And it may seem like it's really weird, but as I was looking and I was studying, and I'd heard this before, many times before, but as I was looking and I was studying through it, I was like, regardless of which place you land on to translate this passage, to interpret this passage, the end result is still sort of the same. It just takes different paths to get there. When we filter it through everything that we've read about Yahweh, we can look at it this way. He's jealous for us in that he loves us and doesn't want anyone or anything to get in the way of him and us. Right? You could say that with the first part. Anything to get in the way of our relationship with him. Or you could look at it as he is jealous for his name in that he wants to protect his reputation because he didn't just want to save the Israelites and us, but Yahweh wants to save the entire world. He said, everybody's looking, everybody's watching the Israelites, and it can be Moved forward to us in time. Everybody's looking. Everybody's watching. So I love you and I don't want anything to come in between your relationship and mine. I'm jealous for our relationship. Or you could say he's jealous for his name because same result. He wants other people to know who he truly is. And he doesn't want his name twisted and messed up. He doesn't, to quote the prophet John Bon Jovi... He doesn't want us to give love a bad name. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. Um, but it's true. He doesn't want us to give him love a bad name. He doesn't want us to give him a bad name because he doesn't just want to save us. He wants to save everybody. And if you and I, and if the Israelites back then misrepresented Yahweh, misrepresent Jesus, then other people won't get to know who Jesus is. And that's important. So both are true. And we've spent these last few weeks talking about both. But I want to finish today focusing on that last part. Yahweh is so abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness that he wants to share it with anybody who will accept him. He wants to share his steadfast covenant love, his overwhelming covenant love and faithfulness with anybody who will come. So as we talked about, as the Hebrew rabbi said, we must be the image bearers of Yahweh. That's what God wanted us to do, to be the image bearers of Yahweh. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 9, it says, The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself. As he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, and all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. They're going to see how powerful God is, but that you are called by the name of the Lord. Let's look at a New Testament version of that same scripture. Acts chapter 11, verse 26, it points out about halfway or towards the end of that verse. It says, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. The term Christian is basically comes out to mean little Christ. You know, and it signifies a follower of Jesus. And the question is, do we wear the name of Yahweh? Do we wear the name of Christ well? It's really easy 
to want to answer that question in the we form. Do we represent the name of Christ or the name of Yahweh well? Because what does it do? takes pressure off of us and it puts it on the collective. Well, I'm kind of pulling my weight, but they're not so much. And if they would pull their weight, then it wouldn't be so hard on me. But the way that I've got to answer that question and the way that you have to answer that question, the way that those watching online have to answer that question is, am I wearing the name of Yahweh, of Christ, well? What are people seeing when they look at me? Are they seeing the true representation of God? And so when Mer Moses heard all that was wrapped up in the name of Yahweh, as we said in verses 6 and 7, he fell on his face and he worshipped. And, and the challenge that you and I have is to do the same. We, we talked about that at the beginning. But I want to ask you, and I think most of us are on the same page with this, but I still want to ask it. Is worship what we did for that first half of our time here together this morning the band's up there and we're, we're singing part of it yeah yes but is that the sum entirety of worship so when the music's done are we done worshiping well okay we'll add in communion time we've already done communion is that worship yeah but is that the sum entirety after communion is done or are we done well, we know this is the most important part. <laughs> if you don't know me, that's, that, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, please, Lord. Thankfully, Lord knows my mind. And he's probably amazed by it at times. I'm blown away. It's like, Phew. But is what we do right now, digging in God's word, is that worship? Yes. Is it the sum entirety of it? All right, is the entire hour, or <clears throat> hour and a half sometimes, is the entire hour that we gather together on Sunday mornings, is that the sum entirety of worship? We say no. But me, and maybe some of you, struggle with worshiping the other 167 hours of the week. We, we put worship, like we do oftentimes God, in a box for an hour a week and say, I'm going to go see God. And, and you know, I, I know a lot of people talk about going to the house of the Lord, and I know it's probably harder for us to do that because we're in a school. But God doesn't live in a house made by hands. He made that very clear. He used to. He used to, but he doesn't may, live in a house made by human hands. Some of the coolest worship services that we've had as a church family is when we were sitting out in 90 degree heat at 9 o'clock in the morning behind an elementary school under some oak trees. God is wherever his people are because he's everywhere all the time. And the Holy Spirit lives in us. And so what we have to understand is that God and our worship of him is not contained to an hour. It is everything that we do. And here's the real truth. It's not we don't choose to worship. The fact is we are worshiping every moment. The question is, who are we worshiping? Who are we worshiping? So let me ask you a few questions to walk through with you. Think about the characteristics that God points out in 
Exodus 34, 6 and 7 that we've spent these past few weeks going over. How compassionate are you? To jog your memory a little bit, one of the things we talked about was the fact that many times we get caught up with the feeling side of compassion. And we probably feel compassion a lot, but what we do is we stop a lot of times and we don't always act on it. So how compassionate are you? Do you represent Yahweh well in your compassion? Are you just feeling compassionate or you're not even feeling compassionate? Or are you also acting on your compassion? You see, it doesn't take our whole church getting together. You and I are worshiping every moment of every day. And the question is, when we have an opportunity to exercise compassion, are we doing it? How gracious are you? How gracious are you? Because that's one of the characteristics of Yahweh. How gracious are you? Are you forgiving? It's a hard one. I know some of you are carrying burdens, you're carrying scars that are very hard that I don't understand and I can't even wrap my mind around, but God does. And God is calling you to forgive those people who've hurt you, even though they may not deserve it, even though they might not even want it. Because he knows that it sets you free and that one day it might in turn set them free. And so are you forgiving But let me make it even a little more clear. Are you forgiving other people? You know, that's where a lot of our minds went. But are you forgiving yourself? You see, a lot of us are held in chains when Jesus has forgiven us, but we haven't forgiven ourselves. We haven't let go of the guilt and the shame that he tried to take off of us that he paid for on the cross. And that might seem like, oh, well, I'm just paying my penance. I'm just doing my time. I'm just keeping myself humble. But what that does is that keeps you from being engaged in the moment and ready to serve when God's calling you. Because you're so beaten up on yourself, you feel like I can't do anything for God. That's a lie. Because none of us can, but by grace, we're all allowed freely to. And we're all forgiven. So are you forgiving yourself? Are you gracious? How slow to anger are you? How slow to anger are you? Are you willing to be less than? Because ultimately that's sort of what it is. Remember we talked about a few weeks ago. I know you guys remember all my sermons. Um, We talked about how a lot of anger stems from our pride being wounded. and, And feeling like we're hurt or we're forgotten or we're left out or we didn't get what we wanted. How willing are you to be less than? How slow to anger are you? Or does your pride build barriers? Because one of the things that I've learned and I'm working on as best I can and I am nowhere near where I need to be. But that when I allow anger to control me, it builds up barriers even with people that I care about. And it builds up barriers with people that I want to grow closer to Jesus with and help lead them closer to Jesus. And so whether I know it or not, whether I never take my anger out on them or it was never aimed at them, I still build barriers between me and other people. So how slow to anger are you? How abounding in love and faithfulness are you? Are you faithful and true even when people don't deserve it? This is really, really key here. And this is, I know this is a big concept. But we talked about that covenant love that Yahweh has that is overwhelming and it's abounding. And it couldn't just be encapsulated in just a couple of English words. And I want to ask you, are you seeking and striving to be overwhelmingly abounding in covenant love and faithfulness? And here's the simplest way I can think to sort of make this practical. 
And it sort of tag teams off of what we talked about with slow to anger. Are you willing to lay down your life for other people to know Jesus? Are you willing to lay down your wants, your desires, your goals, your dreams even, and put them in the hand of God to know that He knows better what you want or He knows better what you need than anything you could ever dream? Are you willing to stay the course and be faithful so that other people can get to know this wonderful God that you and I serve? Are you willing to stay abundantly and overwhelmingly faithful even when people don't deserve it? That's the big kicker. How well are you living in the tension of mercy and grace? Remember we talked about how you can imagine an old-fashioned scale, you know, that hangs on a pivot point. You know, and that with God, yes, there is justice, but there's mercy and mercy weighs more. You know, there's, there's more mercy than there is justice because he wants to give mercy first before justice. And so how do we live in that tension for ourselves? Do we want everybody else to pay and us to go free? Or do we, are we willing to allow other people to be free just like we've just given freedom we don't deserve? Everybody hear that? Are we willing that other people would be free just like we don't deserve to be free, but we still get it? We still get mercy. Are you living in that tension? I'll bring it into our culture now. Are you Cobra Kai or are you Miyagi-Do? Any of you ever seen the, the new version of the Karate Kid? got two warring dojos one is no mercy strike first strike hard or whatever it is something like that but the other one is try to have peaceful resolution you know are you all mercy and no justice or are you all justice and no mercy because i would challenge you to consider that both are wrong if you're all mercy in the sense well it doesn't matter what people do this let them live how they want to live and never repent never turn to god that's wrong because that's going to let them live a life of what they think is pleasure. But honestly, it's still not even all that pleasurable. But it's going to let them live a life of what they think is pleasure. And at the end, they're going to be found wanting. And they're going to be found and face all the justice of God. Or are you somebody that goes around saying, Yeah, they deserve to go to hell. And they deserve to go to hell. And they deserve to go to hell. Yeah. I love the smell of napalm on sinners in the morning. You know, that kind of thing. Because there are people who walk around like that. There are, people who, <laughs> there are people who walk around like that. Don't be that kind of person who only wants justice and only wants condemnation. Why? Because you don't deserve mercy. You can't want for other people what you don't deserve either. You, know, you don't deserve mercy, but God gives it freely. So think of all these questions. Are you doing these things for one hour together a week? When we come together, are you doing these things? If you are, that's good. If you're not, you've got some things that you're thinking about and you've got to work on. But the big question is, are you doing these things the other 167 hours a week? Is it your goal when you're awake and you're able to be conscious? Are you able to try to do these things and implement these things in your life? Not to earn God's love, not to earn God's favor, but to represent his name well. Are you showing people who Yahweh truly is to the best of your ability? Are you worshiping and carrying the name of Yahweh and Jesus when you're picking up your coffee? Because that's what we're supposed to be doing, right? When you're picking up your coffee in the morning, when you're at the end of your work day and you're really frustrated, are you still representing Yahweh and Jesus well, showing all those characteristics as best you can? When you're at school, 
Or here's the real kicker when you're at Walmart. You're doing extra good if you can do that then. Well, let's be real. Walmart is like kindergarten level. Are you representing Yahweh well at home? When your kids have asked why for the 178th time in 30 seconds? When your spouse has one more thing that they want you to do when you've already done a thousand things all day at work or wherever you've been? Are you representing Yahweh well to the best of your ability? Because the truth is, we've already said it, you're worshiping. But the question is, who are you worshiping? Whose name are you carrying? Whose name are you carrying? So remember, be different. Be different, extremely different, based to our, our, our beginning passage. Why? Because the world is watching. And then remember, you can't make others change, but you can control you. And that's freeing, isn't it? If we could wrap our minds around that, that I don't have to worry about changing other people. I'm just worried about finding myself, fixing my eyes on Jesus and allowing him to use me to help other people get to know him. You can't control you, but you, I mean, you can't, you can't control others, but you can control you. Right now, the big pervading thing in our world and our culture is March Madness. Any, who's watching the basketball games? All right. A few of y'all, a few of y'all watching. If you don't, you know what we're talking about, right? College basketball is big end of the year. Basketball tournament's going on. Starts with 68 teams, or actually it's more than that now. They keep adding. It's going to be 127 teams. It, you know, everybody gets a trophy, right? So um, 68 teams or whatever, then you get down to 64, and then you start working your way down to one national champion. And it's, it's pretty interesting. Whether you like sports or not, you can learn a lot of life lessons. But a few years ago, um, a guy was celebrating at the end of a game. They won. It was a big upset. I don't remember who it was, but it's been done several times since. But he runs over it. He vaults up onto the scores table, and he takes his jersey like this, and he points, and he holds out his name. He's pointing to the name on the front of his jersey. But all throughout sports and all throughout life, we've all seen people, whether it be athletes or just people in general, who most of the time they spend their time doing this. Pointing to the name, so to speak, whether they're an athlete or not, the name on the back of their jersey. And I'll be honest, if you're really honest and look at people, you can pretty much tell who they're playing for, right? Are they playing to make sure that they're represented? And it's cool, you know, to be proud of your accomplishments. I'm not dogging that. But honestly, the better teammate, the more, the more successful champion, nine times out of ten is going to be doing this more often than they're going to be doing this. And so what I want us to ask and think about for just a few moments as we wrap this up is this. Whose name are you playing for? Are you playing for the name on the front, your, your team name, Team God, Team Yahweh? Or are you playing for your personal gain and your personal glory, your name on the back? Because the truth is, is that your actions will speak louder than your words. And if we quizzed each and every one of us, if I, I would never do this, but if I went around and said, what team are you playing for and what team are you playing for? Everybody would probably say, oh, I'm playing for the team on the, on the front, right? And the name on the front. But when I go out, what does my life look like? 
Does my life look like I'm playing for my team name or does my life look like I'm playing for my name? So the question I want you to walk away here with is, whose name are you carrying? Who are you worshiping? Because we're all worshiping someone or something 168 hours a week. We're all worshiping someone or something. But the question is, who are you worshiping? The challenge is to let's carry the name of Yahweh forward. Let's carry the name of Jesus. Colossians chapter 3 verse 17 says this. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When you leave here and you go get some lunch, do that for the glory of God. When somebody inevitably cuts you off in traffic, do your best to respond to the glory of God. I'm, talk, I'm preaching to myself here. When you're at work tomorrow and you've reached your limit, do it all to the glory of God as if serving the Lord. When you get home and you're beyond frustrated and you just want a moment's peace, but there's peace never to be found, do it all for the glory of God. It's time for we, the church, to make sure we represent this name more than we represent this name. And there's two really clear ways that I want to challenge you and encourage you to think about as we wrap this up this morning we're just beginning a discipleship study it's a simple study six sessions that we want every single person to go through you might have heard this stuff a thousand times but we still would love for you to go through it because we want other people to be able to be shared with this and we want it to be something our whole church family does so i want to encourage you go on our church app and sign up for that but I also want to encourage you to serve. Many of you serve tirelessly, but there's a lot of jobs. There's a lot of people who are doing more than one job, and there are a lot of jobs that are just not being covered. And everything, no matter how small or big you think it is, helps point somebody else to Jesus. And one of the simple ways that you can get your feet wet in serving, we, we want to encourage you to try to serve, you know, once or twice a month. But Next Saturday, we're doing a community health fair just to try to show the name of Jesus and the love of Jesus to our community. And we want to invite everybody to come out and help take part. You might just simply be walking around saying hi and be a smiling face. If you've got a movement shirt, wear it. But we just need you to come out and help for a little bit. It might seem insignificant. You might say, oh, well, other people can go do that. But we want to wear the name of Christ well, not just one, not just two, but everybody. And so we want to encourage you to serve other people in Jesus' name. And you can start this Saturday. You can sign up on our church app for that as well. I want you to remember, it's not just about one hour. It's about 168. Whose name are you carrying? Are you carrying the name of Yahweh? Are you carrying the name of Jesus? The truth is that you can't carry the name of Jesus unless you've died to yourself. Honestly, this name's got to kind of go away, really, in your mind and heart. 
And if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you're willing to leave your life of sin, repent, confess Him as Lord and King, not you, you can be buried in baptism and raised to walk in a new life, forgiven of your sin, receiving the Holy Spirit. And you can start this new life, and it can be all about His name. The name on the front. But for every single one of us who've already done that, how well are you doing those 167 hours a week? Whose name are you carrying? Who are you worshiping? Let's stand, let's sing. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.